actually, when I was talking to God about this, because I would consider myself pretty central, like I have, uh, you know, conservative values and pro-life, I value local control, but I was, I was talking to God about this and he said, look, Democrats love justice and Republicans love righteousness and I love both. It was this moment for me when I, I, I got clarity because my best guess without knowing your friends would be that they, they have a justice heart, right? They feel that like a government with a, a democratic leadership will be more just. What we are you know, seeing right now is that that level of justice can actually erode growth and righteousness um, and that's why we need both. We need balance and we need people to honor both of those aspects, uh, it, you know, in our government. That's why moving only one direction or only the other actually isn't ultimately the goal. Before we get started, I wanted to give a shout out to our sponsor, Proper Creative. They help me with our brand content and, of course, making our swag. They're the ones that ship it out to us. That's Proper Creative, and they work with any type of business, whether you're a big corporation or a small business or even running it out of your house. They will work with you, and they will help you and relieve a ton of liability and work from your shoulders. That's Proper Creative. You can follow them on Instagram, P-R-O-P-R, or you can go to their website at P-R-O-P-R. R-O-P-R-L-L-C.com. Let Proper Creative help you build your brand and sell direct to consumer, regardless of the size of your business. Proper Creative is definitely a good choice. Welcome to another week of Level Up with Matt Rogers. I'm your host, Matt Rogers. With me, as always, my man, producer, engineer, Eli Adelman. What's up, buddy? How are you? Dude, I am... Doing great. I just had a great cup of coffee provided by you. Dude. Microwave to perfection. I don't do a lot of things perfect, but that is one thing I do to perfection. It's good, man. I don't mess around It's a good day for it, too. It's rainy here. It is rainy here. Um, Are you on camera right now or no? I can switch to it. There I am. Because a lot of people have been asking about you. They're like, we hear his voice, but we never really see him. Yeah. I need. I know. I don't always do it because I don't always have my haircut. So. Why? If I had your hair, I would go on <laughs> camera all the time. That's true. I might not I even mean, do you... a podcast. I would just stare at myself in the mirror all day. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> I guess so. But you're doing good. Doing really good, man. As always, we brag about our guests. Yeah. I believe the Lord has blessed us with the best guests, which is why this podcast is a hit. Can we brag about the podcast? How many countries are we in now? Uh, close to forty. Close to 40. Yeah. Our guest has been to 57 countries, so we're trying to catch her. That's right. She's been to 57. We're in 40 now. Yep. But, like, we're a thing in Germany, I heard. Apparently. Right? Yeah. We got this email out of nowhere, and some head honcho in Germany called us. Now, this is big. Is that a political office, the head honcho? The head honcho. That's a new <laughs> political term in, in Germany. Germany. <laughs> yes. Um, but brace yourself. We got a big number in Germany. We're ranked 177. Oh, baby. But until we go number one, you got to go 177. But it was enough. That's like we're over 10,000 downloads. We're we're over 12. We're over 12,000 downloads. And I mean, like, come on. Like they said, 10,000 was the big thing. 12,000 and Germany, we're doing a thing. They like us. So uh, today we're going to be doing a thing in California. So if you live in California or are from California, Turn the volume up because our guest today is running for governor of California. She's taking down Gavin Newsom. You heard it here first, all right? We all know they're doing the big recall for Gavin Newsom, yep. which I'm going to come out and say I absolutely support that as a Californian yeah. myself, yep. ex-Californian, which I'm going to pick her brain 
and ask her if I made a bad decision according to her if I should not have left California. Maybe like once she gets elected, you can move back because it'll be much better. Well, after researching about her, and obviously some of our best guesses come from our, our friend Rex Crane, right? right? So when Rex recommended her and he's like, this is exactly what he said. Dude, this woman is a beast and you need to have her on your podcast. She's running for governor of California. He goes, and she's one of the smartest people I've ever met. That's awesome. So she might convince me to yeah. move back to California. Let's bring her in. I'm going to give you her stats. So she is a very well accomplished business owner. She's an author, strategic advisor that got her BA in economics from the University of Virginia and her MBA from Columbia Business School. She's a wife. Uh, she is a mother of three, all boys. So she's working on that basketball team. And, uh, I mean, dude, she built co-tech companies, uh, in the energy and financial services. She purchased, uh, a private tech company. I mean, like Rex said, she's a beast. Let's bring her in. And she is running for governor of California. The one and only Miss Jenny Ray. How are you? I'm great. I think we should say that I'm running for the head honchette position in California. What do you think? <laughs> the head honchette of California. So I'm so honored to have you here. And um, I mean, this is a big hot topic right now. Um, can I, I mean, obviously as an ex California myself, the first obvious question would be, why are you running for governor of California? What incited this? Uh, so let's start there. Yeah. Well, I'm long on California. I believe really strongly in the state and I'm running to free California to live, work and breathe. So I know that you are a original Californian. I am a Californian by choice. I moved here to build companies and I drove a crappy Honda over the border uh, to, to you know bring the California dream to life. So what's the future hold for California? I'm convinced that we will remain and again become the place that people want to move too. Um, we have the best people that are building companies, the, the greatest visionaries in the state. Um, and, and they're, you know, we, we are the powerhouse of the economy of the United States. So what happens in California matters to the rest of the United States. Right. What happens to California actually ends up also influencing the world. We're the fifth, fifth largest economy in the world. Right. Uh, so I think if people can live, work, and breathe again in the state, if we can get back to basics and create a platform for people to build the future on, they'll do it again in California. That's why I'm running. That's why I love having you on the show because I mean, even listening to you talk, like it gives hope to a better future for California. We're going to talk about why I left California and why I hope you're right. Because most of the stuff you said wasn't happening and is the reason I left. But before Rex. we get into that, I want to know more about like you personally. I always like to talk about the guests, like where you came from personally, you're a wife, mom, all that stuff. So where did you come from um, and where were you born and, and how did you get to where you're at in California? Well, I was born just a couple cities over from you, Memphis, Tennessee. And up until the age of eight, I had a deep Southern accent and I called my mom, mama. And uh, <laughs> then I moved just before that settled into Lancaster, Pennsylvania, where I spent my awkward middle school and awkward high school years. And I graduated at the top of my class. I'm a musician, um, a soccer player, and, you know, grew up in a really just good, solid, um, traditional family and uh, what position and what position did you I play in soccer off to the university of virginia what position study. what position did you play in soccer 
Oh, forward. Oh, give me, give me the ability to score, man. She's the in, striker, in, Eli. Coach. I'm going to make the game happen. <laughs> that awesome. is awesome. My wife's an ex-soccer player, too. I think she played center mid. So, yeah. I mean, that's probably more important than forward, but I like to make things happen. So that's what I do. <laughs> you like to score. So grew up in Memphis, went to Pennsylvania. Um, but when I when I look at you, when, when Rex first started talking about you, he was just talking about how you are a business tycoon, like a very successful business person. And I read that you started your first business at five years old. What? Yeah. Like, how do you start a business at five? Well, I was visiting my grandparents. They lived in South Florida. And so naturally, as you do, uh, you know, some kids make lemonade stands. Well, I figured that people like fruit. So I picked fruit off of the neighbor's fruit trees not my grandparents, but the neighbor's fruit trees. And I sold it around the neighborhood. And I did pretty well until I tried to sell the fruit back to the neighbor that I stole it from. So that was, uh, you know, my, my business plan could have been a little bit better at the age of five. But I, I have always had a sense of, oh, I could do something about that. And so I had businesses. I had a ledger uh, when I was younger. So when we moved to Pennsylvania, I picked strawberries from a local farm and I took them around in a wagon in my neighborhood. So no I picked them way. at the pick your own rate and I delivered them to people's doors. Um, then I, I started um, mostly services businesses. So I had a leaf raking business and a snow shoveling business. And I hired all the neighborhood kids and deployed them onto these tasks and took a cut out of it and um, ran a, you know, a, a summer school for swimming lessons and kind of just did all of the things. But I was a hustler that knew if there was a problem, I could do something about it. See, this is so important. And this is such a business tip. So most people or most young girls her age were probably setting up the lemonade stand on the side of the corner. She was actually going out, making the strawberries, putting them in the wagon and going to people. Exactly and I, right. I told my daughter, Sam, she's like, dad, we want to set up a lemonade stand. I said, I have a better idea. Let's make the lemonade and go door to door and sell lemonade. I go, because they're more apt to buy when you, when you go to them. And I go, you're going to meet and have more conversations with a ton of people. So now she walks around and everyone knows her as Sam, the girl that came over. And I mean, she sold out in like five trips. So there you go. When you bring the business to someone instead of waiting right. for them to come to you, right? Amazon versus retail, baby. Amazon's going to win every time when it comes to your door. You know it. Wow. That's so true. And she figured that out at five. She did. So, like, honestly, like, that's, I mean, it's a cute story, but it's also very innovating. Did you, did that build something inside of you to say, I'm going to be a very powerful business person? No, I didn't want to go into business. I actually thought that I was going to be a doctor. And I, I, everyone that I talked to about business was like, well, you know, I like it because I make money, but they didn't talk about how freaking fun business is. And so I didn't have, I didn't have mentors that told me, you know, business is remarkable. Business is incredible. And so even when I studied business in college, it was, it felt very academic and honestly kind of negative, right? Oh, like this business did that bad thing. And this business made this choice that was anti-humanity and this business did X, Y, and Z. And, and you know, I studied antitrust policy. I studied monetary policy. I studied accounting and economics, but I also was getting all my pre-med degrees because all I wanted to do was make a difference in the world. And uh, so I just thought I need a practical skill that I can use both in the U.S. and uh, in other places. And I, I want to do something that makes a difference in people's lives. So I thought medicine was it actually uh, through high school, through college, um, and even up until one year after college when everything changed for me. 
So you are, you know, pretty well versed on medicine. And also, can I call you a, a data analytical genius? Like you're very smart in the data field, right? I am. Yeah, I can I can manipulate data to figure out what an insight is. And I can also identify where gaps are in data being collected. And I'll just give you an example. Yesterday, I was talking to somebody in public health in California. And I said, well, are you are you removing that data from the data set? Or are you thinking about it this way? We were talking about whether people are in the hospital with COVID or for COVID. And I said, are you classifying it differently? Is there a subset of this or, or that? And she was like, wow, we just got super technical really quickly. But it matters because if we are reporting for it, in a, in a situation like COVID now, or in a business, the wrong data on the wrong metrics, and we're missing something, then we just make decisions that don't make any sense. So uh, I, I think about data, not just in the nitty gritty of the data, but actually strategically to make sure that we're gathering the right data, making the right decisions. Okay. I want to dive deeper into that because COVID and all that is such a hot topic right now. I'm reading okay. this from Let's your bio. You said, I modeled my own COVID plan using publicity available data and hosted conversations about the future of public policy. What does that mean? You modeled your own COVID plan. What does that yeah, mean? Yeah. So when you when you build a model using data, you have to do two things. You define a target, what question the model is trying to answer, and you have to define a limiting factor, the gateway, or or the thing that you use to kind of say, oh, now we open the state, now we close the state. And um, so I I figured out that. Gavin Newsom in April of last year was modeling closures in the states, not opening. So he had a different target for his model and that he was using as his limiting factor case numbers. I was using hospital or ICU capacity. And um, so I took 14 metrics, including, you know, population density, the number of ICU beds per capita. Um, Actually, where I live is really good for that. We were kind of at lower risk of not getting to a hospital and having something be full because there were more of those um, growth rates for COVID, average age. You know, I took 14 different metrics and I tried to figure out which ones would I use if I was in charge of saving lives, but also managing economy and education over the state right now. And uh, so my model ended up being different to the one that Newsom used. And I believe that we could have saved just as many lives, but had our businesses and our economy more open. So uh, it's every data model uses uh, data, but it also has a philosophy behind it. And that matters as well. So is it, is it safe for me to say that, that Jenny Ray studies the data and goes by what the data says? I do. Yeah, absolutely. But but what data, right? Like what data are we using is the question. But yeah, sometimes, I mean, and and you, data isn't perfect. Data is real, but not perfect. And sometimes you don't necessarily know where the data is going to lead you. You might have something that's related, but not causal. Right. Uh, And so, so data models need to be updated. They need to be refreshed. You need to have a perspective on, on, um, you know, what you're thinking as you get, gather more information. And it's really the same. If you're managing a company, um, and you have, you know, three products and then a, com- a competitor introduces a new product. You have to rethink the way that you think about your model. Are you going to change prices of your old products? Or are you going to introduce a product that's competitive with theirs? Right. So, you know, you use the same kind of models for decision making in business that you would think about in other situations like public health or public policy. Wow. So in your opinion, because you're obviously you're you're conservative, um, Correct. 
Absolutely. Yeah, you are the Republican candidate. You are, I'm assuming you're conservative. If I say anything wrong, by the way, just correct me and be like, no, dude. That's Don't worry, true. I will. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, that means so far I've been right because she Look hasn't corrected you. me. Look at you. Let's go, Eli. We're batting a thousand. Killing it. Don't screw this up. Okay, here we go. Um, so, in in your opinion, the data show, in your data, what you believe are, are red states worse with COVID states per capita than blue states? Who's doing the better job, blue or red? Yeah, um, last year, up until the end of June this year, um, the red states with overall, right, um, actually almost nearly equivalent COVID performance in terms of saving lives, which is the real metric that matters, right? You know, if a lot of people have COVID, but one state has a ton of deaths and another and another one doesn't, that's a, a totally different issue. But if uh, fewer people have COVID and more people are dying in another state, that's a different issue. So I, I really measure the bottom line on are we saving lives or not, right? Um, California, death rate, Florida, Texas, within a margin of error, really, really small differences. Um, but when you take the bigger picture, which your job as the governor is to do, you, you take a step back and you say, hey, what about economy? What about education, right? Florida and Texas for those same accomplishments for those same public health outcomes did way better in economy and in education. Mm. And so, uh, you know, overall, um, we, we basically managed California in a more heavy handed way without actually getting more for it from public health. Uh, right now, we are in a moment where we're looking at Florida and Texas, and it looks pretty scary. Their hospitals are filling up with the Delta variant. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that a lot of the states have not been focusing on, and this is a part of my plan in California, is advancing testing to be at, at a very uh, maximum 24-hour turnarounds. Right now in California, we have some tests that are coming back in four days. Some people take two to three days to get a test. So seven days after symptoms come on, you actually find out whether you had COVID or not. And that during that seven-day period, anything could have happened, right? So, um, so one of my main focus areas is to really break down the COVID process between prevention, testing, and treatment. And I really think that the biggest opportunities for gains right now are in testing. And we kind of, a lot of the states got lazy when we thought that COVID was over last year. But yeah. when you look at the numbers, um, the data shows that those two states, Florida and Texas, which are highlighted a lot in the news right now, are spiking at exactly the same time that they spiked last year. Um, and California's spike should come in probably two to three months. So I don't know that we can say that one is doing better than the other yet uh, because we haven't seen the fullness of the data. But I, I would say that uh, we can see little issues like testing issues as some of the problem that could be contributing in any state. So you do have a medical background. You studied. You're obviously really, really smart when it comes to data. Uh, by the way, do I say data or data? What's the proper terminology? You know what? It's like potato, potato. There's no wrong way to do it. I'll do both. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so in, in your uh, you know, medical field that you studied and you being a, a data guru, um, when it comes to the vaccine, is it too soon to tell that it either A, prevents, or B, um, minimizes symptoms, or do you kind of have your mind made up on those two subjects? Uh, I, I mean, I think it's too early to tell what the long-term effects can be of the vaccine and what the what, what the you know efficacy will be right. a year afterwards. But we can certainly see right now that people that are vaccinated are 
staying out of hospitals and uh, staying away from death at a higher rate when you adjust for the population that is vaccinated and unvaccinated. So, um, you know, that doesn't mean that the vaccine is a risk-free choice. It just means that uh, the vaccine is doing its job at large in, in, you know, in society right now. But people that expected that COVID would be over, I unfortunately just have bad news, right? The only way that, that we get to 0% COVID in the future is shutting our borders and staying at home. Um, and we, we didn't even do that successfully once. We're such an interconnected global society. Right. Um, we're not going to be able to do that again. So COVID, COVID is unfortunately here to stay. Um, we have to learn to live with, understand, track, do our best with what COVID is going to do in the future. And so um, anyone who expects that the vaccine would make them invincible, it wasn't ever designed entirely to do that. And it's not doing that right now. But that doesn't mean that it's not working. So let me ask you this question, because this is here's what bothers me and scares me, I guess, would be about the vaccine. Why is the government pushing me so hard to take it, shaming me if I don't take it and incentivizing me so that I do take it like that's a red flag for me. So you're you're there. You're in it. Why is it because they really do care about me? Because. Science study shows like you have suspicions I, about that. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. Like, okay, just because I take the vaccine doesn't mean I could still kick it with you and you're not going to get sick. Like you could still very much get sick. It just means that I potentially might not get as sick. Why? Like, do they care about me that much? Like Matt, we love you. We care about you. Take the vaccine. So you stay healthy because they're not yeah. selling it that way. They're selling it. Like take the vaccine. So you don't get other people sick. What's the truth? And why are they one, doing it? one part philosophy, one part policy, right? And and I'll, I'll start with the policy because it's easier to understand. Um, people that are sick, um, and especially sick in a way that we define it as a public health sickness, which we've talked about with COVID and and defined it like that right now, um, cost money to the government. Like in every state, we have you know a Medicaid or in California we have Medi-Cal for our low-income workers. And so if you take the vaccine, you don't cost me money on the back end. And it's actually unfortunately the same argument for why people should get abortions, right? You if you get an abortion now, it costs me 300 bucks. If you have the baby and then I have to care for the baby in the welfare system, then it's really expensive. So wow. it doesn't mean that the government does the right thing. It just means that there is a reason behind why they're doing it. Um, and so so that kind of calculation from a public health perspective is often part of why people um, you know advocate for or make public health decisions. Again, it doesn't mean that they're morally right. Um, it just means sure. that they, they are sensible from a public health perspective. Um, philosophically, the loudest voices right now are not for freedom. And we, when we get afraid, we give our freedom away. We did this post 9-11, right, with the Patriot Act. We said, hey, you can avoid due process and you can just go into anybody's house. You can wiretap them um, without a, a judge's warrant, without cause, because if they're a security risk, we don't want to have to go through due process. And of course, that might save lives, but it also hinders people's freedom at the same time. And we're kind of in that same moment um, within California right now. They're considering vaccine mandates. They've come out with vaccine mandates for school teachers and for um, public health workers and for, you know, people kind of up and down the state. And the real concern is um, that that from a philosophical 
But from a philosophy standpoint, we're going to trade what we're afraid of right now for our freedom. And um, so we, I think we just have to be really careful to, to do that. And so I'm, I'm personally against vaccine mandates. Um, and I think it's really important that people retain the right to choose. And I would like to see more balanced, less shaming in, uh, you know, information that's shared from our governments rather than like, you have to get the vaccine, just like a, hey, if you get it, this is your chance of survival from COVID. And if you, you know, if you don't get it, then this is your chance of survival. Like make your choice, right? right? You know, just treating people more like adults. And, and we're, we're not doing a great job of that right now. There's only one message that's coming from public health. And I think that's part of why people are not trusting it because they don't understand the root of where it's coming from. Well, that you just actually made me feel a little bit better about it because it made me understand it more. Like, you know, I, I thought like, oh, well, they just want me to take it because they don't care about my life really. And, you know, they just want to make money off me. But to hear you explain, it's like, okay, well, if I'm not sick and I don't go in the hospital, it actually saves them money, which that makes sense to me. I may not. Yeah. And you can like, you can say at work, you don't have to, I don't, we don't have workers comp for you. Right. You know, you're, you're, you, you remain a contributing member of society and not a drain. And if we have people that are sick and dying, then that's, that's the exact opposite of that. And so it's not as cold and calculated as that. Like I mentioned, there's a philosophy behind it too. People are worried. They kind of feel like this is a way we can provide comfort to people. Um, But for many people that don't understand the data or the background of it, it's, it's normal to be skeptical when somebody says, do this one thing only. Right. Right. So, and, and like with abortion, I'm, I'm definitely pro-life and most people would say, Oh, it's easy for you to say you're a guy, you're pro-life. It's not your body. Um, for you being a conservative, do I assume that you're pro-life as well? Yeah, uh, I am pro-life and we're seeing kind of, you know, people inside the party that have different perspectives on that. But right. I, um, I, like I had two miscarriages. Uh, my husband and I have three beautiful boys, but we had two other miscarriages. And mm-hmm. that was a real grieving process for me that surprised right. me because everybody who was walking through those miscarriages with us was like, okay, it's been two weeks. Like, are you done yet? And, um, and, and they would say things that were true, but not helpful. Like, you'll be okay. You'll have another baby. You, and I was like, wait a second, you know, that was a life. Right. And, and it it just made me realize how prevalent in our culture uh, it can be to not grieve a life that is um, in the womb like that. And it, it just, it made it really powerful for me, but I don't think that the way um, to end abortion is necessarily through laws. Uh, We need to reduce the demand for abortion. And we need women to know that their life is not over if they have a baby. Um, that And that doesn't mean just adoption. That means like, hey, you know, you can finish high school online. In fact, I was having a conversation with God about this a couple of months ago. And he said, what if you went through the entire year of online school so that women could, so that high school women could finish their degrees without being told, like, if you have this baby, you will drop out of high school. Right. So it was it was just a paradigm shift for me to think bigger, differently about the ways that we could support women uh, in the process of making the choice. So, yeah. Um, yeah. There, you know, there's a lot that we can do from the legal side, but there's actually a lot just from uh, messaging um, and from options uh, that we could do as well. I love how you say it so casually and so just real. I had a conversation with God and here's what God told me. So you're very outwardly spoken believer, right? Yeah, I am. Yeah. If you said, you know, hey, God spoke to me, it, 
on the view, you might get crucified a little bit, but you'll yeah. still do it anyway, right? <laughs> I mean, it still happened. So, you know, early on in the campaign, um, I had an advisor and he said, go back through and look at all of your social media posts, like anything that's colorful in any way, it's going to get pulled up from the background. Um, and so as I started to do it, God asked me, what if you find something, what will you do? Mm. And I was like, and, and what he said was, if you delete it, does that mean it didn't happen? Wow. And so um, I, I felt convicted in the process of running that I will probably do a lot of things well and a few things wrong. And of course, the balance of the, the things that could be brought up are the wrong things. But but the key issue is if it happened, it happened. And, tr- you know, we've got to own the things that we do well and the things that we don't do well. And so that's been one of my character choices as I've decided to run for office. I love if it that. happened, it happened. If God said it, God said it, you know? So, so far reflecting, you know, the, obviously you're, you're right in the thick of it. I mean, this is the beginning middle of your, of your campaign so far. What do you think God's most proud of you for so far? What, what have you done really well? I, I've said yes. Every time he's asked. You've been obedient. What's, has there been anything that you said yes to that you were kind of like, Ooh, okay, I'll do it, but I don't know. I'm just trusting you. What was that? Yeah. Um, there was a misunderstanding with someone else in the, not in the race, but kind of in the, in the, uh, in the game, I guess you would say. Um, I, I was fairly certain I was right. Um, but the Lord told me to apologize. Oh, wow. That's that's great. That's humility. We hate doing, I hate doing it, but we do it. And so, okay, this is a key learning moment. After you apologized, what happened? Why did God have you apologize? Even though you probably were right. What came from that? Nothing, nothing good, but nothing bad. Right. I think we kind of stopped like what could have been a negative situation. Um, it, that wasn't the purpose of the apology. I mean, I really felt like I felt, felt like I had to go into the apology without any expectation. It wasn't like I was apologizing to fix the situation, right? right. I was apologizing because the Lord convicted me that that I was wrong. Um, and I, I was wrong because I was fearful about something. And I had, again, it was still a misunderstanding, but I acted on being fearful. And so God was like, apologize for that and, and ask him to forgive you. And he did. That's so um, we're, you know, we're not best friends yet, but um, I'll give him time. <laughs> you could just say it. it was Gavin Newsom, wasn't it? Just kidding. <laughs> um, so let me ask you this, because this is a super important question. You're obviously a believer. You're outspoken. Uh, how does God fit in California? And why do you think it's important for you to bring God into California? Uh, look, I think California needs a miracle. And we need faith right now to believe that something good is coming, uh, right? It doesn't look that great. Even if you look at the data like I do, it's not looking, not looking awesome. We've got people departing the state in record numbers last year. Right, 172,000 people left the state more than arrived. First negative growth rate in history, as long as we've been recording it in California. Before that, 170 years of straight growth. 
Um, we have 19,000 businesses that close in the state, and that represents hopes and dreams of families and communities. And, and um, so, you know, we, we had a really hard couple of years, these last years, and um, California has not done what it has needed to do to remain competitive um, in, as, in terms of its business environment, its labor environment, its schools. Our schools are ranked about 40th in the country right now. Um, and so, you know, California um, has been managing to a social agenda, but not to a freedom agenda to, for people to build what they really want to see in the future. And that amount of hopelessness is really easy to come under if you don't have faith. Um, and so what, what I think God's doing is I think he's breaking people out of a sense of apathy and, and, a, and worry about the future. And he's calling people to build um, what he wants them to, to build. So I'm seeing it all over the state. I'm seeing it in prayer groups. Um, people have been praying for California for 30 years, 40 years, and they feel like something is actually really breaking over the state. But it's uh, what, what we come up against is that hopelessness. And I think with hope and courage, the state can be something totally different from where we are right now. I am so happy to hear you say that because... And this is a part of the podcast where it might get, it's not going to get confrontational between you and me because I just don't think we're that way. But this is, these are a couple things that I would say that I disagree with you on because of why I left. So first and foremost, I left because God really put a drawing on my heart to leave California and, and come to Tennessee. We considered Idaho, Texas, and Tennessee. We came to Tennessee and we just felt it. And, you know, it's been it's a always a good decision. reason to leave. People right. should leave for that reason. Every it's time. been a great decision. And then looking back. So, you know, you wrote down um, in if if people go uh, visit your if people go visit you on your website. Uh, first of all, your website, so I don't get it wrong, is. Jenny Ray C.A. dot com. So it's J.E.N.N.Y.R.A.E.C.A. dot com. So. On her website, she breaks it down beautifully, like who she is, where she is, her career, and then she says her vision. So this is what I want to bring up. You say in your vision, you said, I feel something here talking about California. I feel something here. I do not feel anywhere else. I want the California dream to be possible for my kids and every Californian. Here's where I disagree with you. I don't feel that anymore when I go to California and that's why yeah. I left. I'm from Covina, California, Southern California, SGV. I played football there. Like when I went to the university of Iowa, my California, I was a California kid in the eighties and nineties. It was cool to be from California. I, the opposite of what your vision said, said, I got to get my kids the heck out of here because the California dream is dead. And that's why I left. You're saying you want your kids there because the California dream is alive. So I guess what are you seeing that I am not seeing? What I'm seeing is that uh, I'll, I'll just take you to a conversation I had in the middle of this process. I met with a guy um, who has built multiple companies and he uh, just recently moved to Los Angeles. He was debating between LA and Miami. And I said, why here? Right. You know, why here? And he said, because the one thing that California has that you cannot take away from it right now, but you could take away in the future is the people. The people here think bigger than anywhere else. That's true. It's, it's like it's like 
when you're looking for a CEO, you don't go and look for a place where middle managers are built. Hundred percent right? true. And so California has its eye on the world on how to shape the future of the world, and and so that's why he's here. And he said, "Look, take some margaritas away from Miami, and you might get there in five years." You know, Austin is working on it. They're they're working on competing for those same people, but right now the people that will build the future are still in California. So it's not a, you know, it's not cost of living. That's one of the things that's driving them out. It's not education um, that's keeping them here. And we're not building the workforce that they need in the future, but the people that want to create it are here today. And I think that's part of the urgency for me in running. Originally, I thought when I when I felt a nudge to start to look at the space, I thought 20, 30 or later, because basically I'll just put everything off that I don't want to do. And, uh, and, and I felt an urgency that in 2030, California will be basically unrecoverable, right? We will be in a situation where we are so far down that pathway that we won't be able to turn. Okay, because so why? That's one of what? the reasons why I decided to run now. So what what has happened? Why is it going down that path? Because the easy answer is the government and the Democrats. Like, what's the reason? I mean, that is kind of the reason, unfortunately. You know, when when you manage to the um, when you manage to a problem instead of to the future, you build something that constantly knits at the problem, but it doesn't build a platform. And so, what we one of the reasons that I really believe in conservative values is that I believe in local control. I believe in, in, you know, business growth. And um, what I actually think has happened even bigger than the fact that we have a democratic government and and have, you know, um, had a fully democratic um, government for the last 12 years. What I think the real issue is, is that my generation has abandoned the government. You're in my generation, so this is yeah. your problem too. Um, right. But but we look at it and we say, "Are you kidding me?" Right? You've mm-hmm. got like w- with my life, I, I had a great business. We live on a farm, 180 acres, three kids. Um, I run a company that is successful enough that I could take Wednesdays off and hang out with my kids if I want to. My family can travel with me. We we are able to give extravagantly for myself. This is the dumbest thing I've ever done. Right. And you have a lot of us that have been building skills and building character in other places that look at the government and they say, absolutely freaking not. I will not do that because look at what happens in that space. And we have cursed the government and abandoned the government. And we can't do that anymore because the exact thing that is needed is the kind of leadership that is hiding out in other places. So So I think it's a generational gap of character and leadership that we've got to step into right now. You're hundred percent right because your generation and me, I have like, I don't remember hating the government this much. Like I can't stand it. And the crazy thing. So like, but I guess here's my question. So you say, you know, Austin is starting to get it. Well, Austin has now flipped blue, like Austin's blue. So the Democrats who are innovative and making stuff happen are leaving California to do it in Texas, but they're bringing that, there, which trips me out. And some of my closest friends, and this is what I don't understand. Um, one of them owns two very successful apparel companies, small business owner. Another one of my very close friends is you can call him the vice president of a trucking company. He's innovative. And my first boss, who's a Democrat, 
he owns probably one of the most successful escrow companies in California and they're all Democrats, but they're the best at what they do. So I guess my conundrum here is why do they keep voting blue? Because it feels like blue gives more power to the government and they are anything but that they're innovators. They're smart business people. Why are they well, I think giving there are two it away? Reasons. Um, one is, you know, at the beginning of the campaign, I said, I told my team, send me the best videos that you've seen from people that are running for office. I got five videos from Democrats, better messengers. Really? Right? Absolutely. hundred percent. And then the, and then the second thing is, um, just actually when I was talking to God about this, cause I would consider myself pretty central. Like I have, mm-hmm. a, you know, conservative values and pro-life. I value local control, but, but I'm not an anti-Democrat person. I hope you can hear that in what I'm saying. I just believe that conservative principles and conservative management works. It helps society flourish. And, um, but, but I was, I was talking to God about this and he said, look, Democrats love justice and Republicans love righteousness. And I love both. Wow. And write that down, Eli. That's right, baby. Right. It was this moment for me when I, I, I got clarity because my best guess without knowing your friends would be that they, they have a justice heart, right? They feel that like a government with a, a democratic leadership will be more just. And, and what we are you know, seeing right now is that that level of justice can actually erode growth and righteousness. Um, and that's why we need both. We need balance and we need people to honor both of those aspects uh, you know, in our government. That's why moving only one direction or only the other actually isn't ultimately the goal. That was so good. God told you that Democrats yeah, love good, justice, right? Republicans like love righteousness, yeah. and I love both. I'm going to put that on all my social media today and then tag Jenny Ray and say, make sure you listen to this episode. That was really good. That brings unity. It does. God, God brings unity. But okay. Oh, gosh. Just, he I brings so unity in, in, um, in honor, not yeah. in sameness. Right. Totally. He, and so this was, this was another thing. I mean, you, you know, we're, we're just going to get spicy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when I, when I was um, standing in a lobby of a big building in New York on Donald Trump's inauguration day, uh, God asked me a question. He said, how would you lead if you won less than 50% of the vote? Cause on all of the media, it was like Donald Trump takes office with only 49% of the electoral college, you know, vote or the popular votes. Right? That's a good question. And, um, and, and so I was like, I don't know. I mean, like, why would God ask a question like that? I said, I don't know. He said, figure it out. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so it took me two months. Um, but I, I ended up answering that question and I felt like it was important. And I started to put it into practice in my business. Um, but I, I came up with three things. And I think these are the things that we're actually desperately hungry for in our leadership right now. Um, but the first one was honor of your opponents, honor of your opponents, because, and, and what I said was like, look, what if I, and I was thinking at the time, blinders on business, I was thinking like, what if I took over a business? What if I was voted into a position by 27% of, you know, a, a group of people and there were 11 of us and I got the biggest number, but then 73% voted against me effectively, right? Mm-hmm. Honor is what enables you to lead the people that disagreed with you at the beginning, 
So that was the first thing you have to honor your opponents. The second, I hope our listeners are writing to, this down. This is so good. Yeah. The second one is you have to embrace conflict. Uh, right now, we basically just throw mud at one another from a distance. Um, but conflict actually results in learning. It's like, you know, you're married, I'm married, right? What, what, what we do with conflict actually shapes the nature of our marriage, shapes the nature of our relationships. And if we just yell at one another, instead of saying, wow, I feel like that touched something deep in you, we should talk about that. Like, why is that bothering you? And what is that? Does that mean I'm not valuing you in an X, Y, or Z way? Right? Just imagine what, what that looks like if we are able to say, you believe this and I believe this, and we're not opposite. We actually both have the same goal. We want enough water for California. Right? Right. We don't want any more wildfires. We, we have the same goal, but we disagree on the way to get there. Like we have to stay engaged with conflict. Um, and we have to actually embrace it because it reveals people's positions. It reveals their values. And, uh, and, and that matters. And then the third thing is conviction, that you're doing what is right for the entire organization, not the people that put you in power. And this is one of the ones that grieves me the most about what we usually see is that, right, you know, if I, if I win this election, it'll be 20-ish percent, maybe mm-hmm. less, um, of people that would vote for me. So I can't serve them. I have to serve everyone. That's right. my, my job description is head honchette of California, right? So <laughs> we got to make sure that, that, um, that that's the focus. So, so those are the three things. And I, I began reflecting on those in you know the January of 2017. What does it look like to lead uh, with honor of your opponents, with conflict and embracing conflict and with conviction? And, um, and those have been some guiding lights for me right now in in what we're doing, because I think that we desperately need leaders that can do that. It's, I mean, gosh, there's so much truth there. From a, from a religious aspect, you know, you, you look at Jesus, he embraced the sinners and brought them in and, and he carried something that made people want to do something different. But he also had this thing where he would flip over tables in the temple and he would get you know, pretty adamant and what reads in the Bible to be pretty aggressive when he disagreed with someone. I mean, like he called Peter the devil and he called, you know, told the the Pharisees like, oh, your dad's the devil. It ain't Abraham. So you think of, you know, just let's just say, um, uh, how do you know when to be adamant about that? Like God was and when to include quote sinners or people who aren't on the same page as you. I mean, that's well, just a real question. You know? num- number one, we we did get clarity, I think, in the New Testament about the fact that our battle is not against people, but against flesh and blood. So we have to remember that we war adamantly against the principalities and powers, mm. and we welcome people, right? The, the two of those have to go together. We just have to make sure our weapons are turned in the right place. Um, and so I find that is really important in this election because um, when people, you know, People disagree with me all the time. It's part of the nature of this. Uh, they, they don't think that I'm the right candidate. I don't, they don't think I'm at the right time. They don't like what I say. You know, we, we, they find lots of reasons to, to, to disagree. But what's really important is that I remember that my battle is against something in the spirit realm, not against them. Um, and so my whole team carries this. I mean, we engage with people that will thank us at the end of a very straightforward conversation where we'll say, this is where we stand and here's why. And they'll say, you're wrong because of this reason. And we'll say, tell us more, like, you know, what are you thinking? And we'll, we will 100% still disagree at the end, but they'll feel honored 
by the exchange. And I think that's, again, you know, that's how in a state that is 46% Democrat, not 65 or 70 as most wow. people suspect, 46% Democrat, um, that's that's how you bring a state together is that um, you hold conservative values, but your message is unifying. And that's California's only 46% Democrat? Yeah. And you you always hear California straight up blue. I mean, that's totally sounds, that doesn't sound super blue to me. Um, well, so the what's look, the, so what are Republicans in the 30s? 24 and 24 percent are independents. And then the rest are kind of like all the special parties, right? The, the Green Party, the Libertarians, et cetera. Um, but what, what that means is that California is is a winnable state um, with organization, uh, with coordination and with the right message, because many people are Democrats because they're anti-Republican, not necessarily because they really believe in a Democrat message. And, and we have, you know, 20% of people in polls right now have said that they would vote against Gavin Newsom that are registered Democrats, which makes it a very fair odds um, for an election like this. So um, I think that the, the Titus, it has the opportunity to change, but it has felt like California was an uninvestable place for conservatives. Like, yeah. why would you run as a conservative in California? But when I looked Holy. at those numbers, I was like, this can be done. You're, right? and you know? you're a data genius. <laughs> you study the data. Done. Let me ask you this. Uh, is there a possibility, and you don't have to ask answer this if you don't want to. It's not a setup question. It's a curious question. Is there a possibility that, Newsom or the Democrats could cheat and he doesn't get recalled even if he really does. Because now we're um, all thinking I, like... There's actually a possibility that anybody could cheat. There's a possibility that Republicans could cheat too because our elections are not secure in California. Um, we have uh, ballot registration. You can just uh, show up for voter registration with no ID on the day of the election. Um, we mail ballots to everyone in the state and those you know 172,000 people that left, they got ballots mailed to their house. Um, because nobody notifies the state of California. They're not like, there's no checkpoint when you leave, right? You know, um, right. That, that you've left California. I mean, you may register somewhere else. Your federal stuff might go somewhere else, but it takes sometimes 10 years to actually have voter rolls that are clean. We got 11 ballots at our house that are for us. They're for people that lived at our house um, at some other time. And so, so you know, anybody could, we could cheat. We're, we're not going to, of course, but anybody could cheat um, in the election when you have all mail-in ballots, no voter ID for registration, um, you know, and, and, and there's a, a lot of gaps in our electoral process in California. I think we need to work on that to restore the security of this election. So even, even before talking about you winning, before that, we would have to recall Gavin Newsom, right? It all happens at the same time. So uh, two questions on the ballot. Question one is yes or no, recall Newsom. So I'm encouraging everybody to vote yes right. on that one. Yes means, you know, he's out of my office. And then question two is who do you want to replace him? And I'm encouraging everybody to vote their conscience or pray about it. Um, you know, just, just to kind of choose who they think is the best. It's kind of one of those unique situations where there are Democrats there are Green Party, there are independents, there are Republicans that are running, um, and it does reduce the threshold for a win. But there is no runoff, um, and there was no primary. So anyone who wanted to register for the ballot and who completed the paperwork and filed the fee was able to do that for this election. So it's a unique election uh, in California and a, a unique opportunity for somebody like me who's a political outsider, excellent business person, you know, one of the top fundraisers in the state, um, but it's an excellent opportunity for me to enter a race like this. Why, 
why two questions why would someone want to check no i do not want to recall gavin newsom because you know we talk about bringing honor to your opponents i guess i'm asking you what's something that gavin does right why would someone want to keep him in office and then the opposite why would someone want him out and I'll tell you his message for why they should keep him. Um, he's told California that we will fall off a COVID cliff if he um, is removed from office. Do you believe that's true? Takes over. Do you think I that's absolutely true? don't because I know the data and I have a plan. Um, and so, so he is playing off of people's fear, the same fear that we were talking about with COVID before where people will cede their liberty, right? And, and he's saying, look, you know, don't fall for it. Um, that's one of the issues. And then he's also saying that um, environmental justice won't be done. That's one of the key narratives against the Republican Party. Republicans don't care about climate change. They don't value climate change. Um, and so those are the reasons why people would say, well, I love the I love the planet and I don't want to get sick from COVID. And so I will vote for Gavin Newsom. Um, now, here's the, the problem with that is that the people that are on the other side are kind of like they're calling BS on that, right? Because they're saying, look, you know, Florida, Texas, you, you are harder on us and we're unmerciful to the businesses and the families of the state. Mm. And, um, and, and you are creating the future here that we do not want. And so you have to leave, right? right. Kind of a, like, let my, let my people go Pharaoh kind of situation. <laughs> right. um, but even on environmental stuff, they're saying, I don't have water. You're turning off my power to save power in the grid. Um, wildfires. I mean, this morning I walked outside and ash was falling from the sky. From so, a, a okay. So why, why is that? Why is that? Or maybe it's not. Why is that Gavin's fault? Why is that different? Like, whose fault is it? Yeah. Um, well, water is an infrastructure problem. We have more than enough water that falls in California every year, but we don't store it and we mm. don't manage it. Right now, our water management plans are one year management plans. So it's a mismanaged resource, not a resource issue. Mm. Um, and so we had reservoirs that were 85% full this year. They're designed for a five year period to satisfy what could be dry periods in California. They come and go. They have since we've had these water projects. Um, but we drained on average 70% of our reservoirs in one year. We should drain no more than 22% in an average year because we'll have some, you know, rain infill from the upcoming year. And so it's just like mismanagement like that. It's, it's crazy. No oversight. We lost $31 billion from our um, EDD, our unemployment department, through fraud, um, cybersecurity issues. Like one person got 1,700 checks at a single house, right? Like uh, any system built in the last 20 years could catch something like that. So $31 billion would have enabled us to pave every road in California again. But, but he lost it. And like, if I were the CEO and I knew that that was happening, I mean, I, 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 I called it last April because I was looking at old data, not even from 2020. And I was like, why does California have $835 million of fraud, whereas Florida has a million? Like, why is it such a large magnitude here? And um, so I, I did a little digging into it. Like, if I knew that that was an issue, I would have been sitting in the call center and standing in the lines and figuring out how to fix it in the middle of COVID, knowing that the more volume you put through a fraudulent system, the more fraud you're going to have, right? And mm -hmm. and then we have, like, wildfire issues. I mean, our, our wildfire just – I've, I've done all – tours with everybody. And I have advisors on my team for this stuff, but in California, we have about over 30 million acres of forest, right? Um, and the forest has been basically untouched 
for the last 40 years, which is amazing if you are a preservationist, if you want it to remain exactly in a, a, a the state that it was in 40 years ago. The problem is that forests grow and they grow more dense over time if nothing manages them. And fire has been used in California for hundreds of years to manage the density of forests. But um, but what we have instead is where we used to have 50 acre, 50 trees per acre, we have 500 trees per acre. So if you if you make a bonfire and you have 50 pieces of wood or 500 pieces of wood, which one's right, going to be bigger? Seriously, right? Yeah. So our our forest fires are unfightable right now. They our forests are so dense that we cannot stop the fire. I mean, and I've been in a wildfire and we lost a rental house to a wildfire. But when fire gets hot like that, it throws fire miles away. That's it, so it crazy. Throws fireballs. It creates fire tornadoes. It creates its own lightning. Like it's an entire ecosystem that no amount of tankers or, or anything else could fight. And so, um, you know, when Gavin says, look, this is a climate change issue and I'm tired of talking about it. Everybody else is like, come on, do something about it. We need permits to clear our forests. We need biomass, you know, treatment plans. Florida manages 2.3 million acres of forest. We only manage 10,000 in California. So we're just furious with our, you know, our farms running dry and our, our, you know, acreage burning up because of this amount of just fundamental mismanagement and, and miscommunication about what the real problem is. So people just want problems solved. Like they don't really care whether it's a Republican or a Democrat. They just don't want Newsom yeah. anymore because he's not solving the problems that are here. I really I really hope he goes bye bye. Uh, let me make a show because you could tell. Um, one thing I read about you in your vision, you said uh, prioritize the right problems and make decisions based off of data. Well, I could tell right there how you've you've identified a problem and you made a decision based off of data. Taking a quick turn from personal to listeners right now, maybe people who aren't in California, it's like. Well, that's, you know, it stinks for California, but, you know, I live in Maine or I live in New York, whatever. Can you personalize that maybe like in business because you've been so successful in business? Like personally, how can an individual prioritize the right problems and make decisions based off of that? Is that possible or is it just for totally is? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I mean, I teach that, you know, our, not not me at the moment because someone else is running my company, but that's right. one of the things that our company teaches is, um, and, and basically like one of the principles that we teach is uh, it's just called answer first. Like you figure out what you're trying to do and then you figure out what data you need to get there. And that's one of the reasons why I'm a good problem solver. I say, okay, great. I want no more forest fires that are above 20,000 acres. How do we get there? Right. You mm. set the goal and then you work backwards on the data to get there. And a lot of people start by looking kind of at what feels like a black box and they're like, I don't know, I'm going to try to sell something or, you know, build right. something. And if you're like, no, I, you know, I want, I want $10,000 a month. How many things do I need to sell? What am I going to price them for? And then you go sell one, right? You go door to door, like we were talking about earlier. You go sell one and you figure out if somebody's going to buy it. If you can sell one, you can probably sell 10. If you can sell 10, you can probably sell 100. And so um, so you just have to break it down backwards, actually, uh, to solve those kind of problems. You can do that in business. You can do that with products. You can do it with services. Um, you can do it in any kind of problem-solving setting. All right, let's solve a problem. How, how would I, let's say I make... $50,000 a year yeah. and I'm in $20,000 worth of debt. How do I like, okay, identify the problem. My problem's debt, right? Is Am I doing that right? 
And well, then, not necessarily. So how would you do it? I make 50 grand a year. I'm in 20 grand in debt. How do I get out? And how fast can I get out? Like, yeah. I know this is well, a bigger question, but like. From no, I just, love it. Yeah. Just like your bullet. Just make it plan. super real. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, two sides of every equation are the income and the expenses. And so um, you, you've got to move on one or the other or both. And I always go after income first. Okay. Right. Because you, because you can only cut expenses a little bit. Um, you, you can only like, right. You can only have a few fewer Starbucks or like, you know, sell one car and have one fewer car payment. Like you can do that right. and you might be able to get out of debt, but really how you end up in, in the future of where you want to go is that you think about what you want to do differently. And so um, I sailed across the Atlantic ocean when I was moving from South Africa back to Atlanta, <laughs> of when course I was in my you, early did. you know, obviously as, as you do. Right. Um, and, and the guys that I was on the boat with were, were in their early fifties. He was a, a, a police officer and she was a lawyer. And they were from Florida and um, they had bought a boat, had it custom made in South Africa and were sailing it back and they brought two crew with them. And, um, but I listened to them and they, what they said was every Saturday year round, they had a bonus business. And this would be my, this would be my recommendation to you. If you're, you know, make $50,000 a year and you're $20,000 in debt, spend four hours every Saturday and sell something new. Ooh. Um, and and the best thing that you can do is services. And I'll just give you one great example, right? Um, what they did was that they they bought trees from a local nursery and they mm -hmm. took them to a corner lot of a street and they sold the trees. And then they offered that they would come and plant the trees for people for an extra like 30 bucks per tree, right? Right. And um, and and they they made, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars over about 10 years doing that. And then they had like a barbecue smoker and they did a couple parties and they just, they kind of just built these like other streams of income. And so, you know, that, that would be my recommendation is always like solve it on the unlimited side, which is the side uh, in that case of, of revenue or of income. Um, you know, you can it. cut expenses that that might be really good from a discipline and from a saving standpoint, but it's not the only way. See, take that, Dave Ramsey. Boom. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yep. Jenny Ray, she goes on the offense. The yeah. thing I don't like about him is he goes on the I defense. Yeah. She's he's on, on, he's on the defense. Look, Dave Ramsey has helped a lot of people. For I sure. Like, the guy. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm a big picture thinker. I'm kind of like, but why not do that? You know, my, my husband and I have rental properties. Like if, if we had listened to Dave, we would have two. We have, I don't know, 27. I, I, I should That's tell me. Tell me, hey, tell me about um, your husband. Tell me about your husband real quick. How, uh, you know, we're talking about honor. Uh, first of all, personally, tell me what you love about your husband and how has he been through this whole process for you? Okay. So my husband is unflappable. He is my total opposite. So when I think about the impossibilities, my husband is like, he will drink the same beer every night. Um, he, you know, he's just a man of consistency and, and like, basically every night is something with meat and something with potatoes. And he's an excellent cook. But when I come home, the boys are like, well, we had steak and then we had chicken and then we had sausage and then we had steak and chicken and sausage. And I'm like, let's make some kind of, you know, foo -foo curry from somewhere. Eli's like so, cheering um, for him. Yeah, yeah totally. So, so my husband is a man of consistency. He's great with structure. My family really thrives because, you know, when he is leading the kind of family dynamic, because uh, they do the same thing every morning. They go to school on time. They get, you know, they get back. Everybody doesn't always wear the right size pants. I have caught, you know, some of them switching <laughs> pants every once in a while, but, 
But my husband is a man of consistency and stability. And while at the beginning of our relationship, I didn't value that because if I'm honest, I wanted to marry myself in male form. Um, what has been a real gift to me and in our marriage is that there's only one of me and only one of him. And, um, and so, yeah, that's been really good for us, especially, you know, walking into this new season that we're walking. That's so awesome. And you have three boys and two of the boys are uh, in school. And you said, does one of them or both of them speak fluent Spanish? They, they both do. Yeah, they both speak uh, fluent Spanish. So um, ages nine and five, and um, they're pretty, pretty out of control, but their whole day with the exception of one hour is in Spanish. Lunch is in Spanish, gym is in Spanish, recess is in Spanish. And so um, they only so learn awesome. English at home and they only learn Spanish at school. It's pretty remarkable. Dude, that is so, and I tell my boys, both of my boys are really good in Spanish, especially my oldest, Brayden. Yeah. And when we go to a Mexican restaurant stuff, I'm like, you know, order in Spanish. Because here in Tennessee, like if a white person speaks Spanish, it's like, oh, my gosh, it's like a golden. (laughs) Like you're an anomaly. And I keep telling them, like, bro, learn Spanish. You'll be like an anomaly in Tennessee and you'll freaking kill it. And, you know, in California, like you have to learn Spanish. Right. Yeah. Yeah, 39% of California is um, Hispanic. So it's a really big part of our population. You know, Eli, I could sing love songs in Spanish. Uh, you don't have to. It's okay. You don't want me I'll, to? I'll say no to that too. <laughs> Is that, <laughs> she said, I'll say no to that too. Uh, before I let you go, um, tell me again. So like, you're so passionate about California. What, what was it like? Where does that passion come from? Why does it burn so much inside of you in California? Cause you can go, I think one of the most, the things that I like about you the most is you don't need the power, you don't need the money. I feel like a lot of politicians go in there to find their identity and they want power and they want this and that's why things get so jacked up. Well, that's not you. You've already been a successful business. You've already been a successful wife. You know, you have money, you have rental properties. Like, why California? Because you can go anywhere and kill it. Yeah. Why are you so passionate about doing it in Cali? Well, I... I have a vision for the state that is unrealized and I'm attracted to a good problem. <laughs> it's one of my, uh, my, my downfalls. Probably, I'm attracted right? to a good problem. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, you know, I, I, I love to carry a sense of the nearly impossible. It's part of what makes life worth living for me. And, um, you know, a year and a half ago, beginning of 2020, my husband and I were like, we did it all right. We have the ranch, We've got the kids, we have the business, like um, we've been to a lot of countries, but like basically the only thing on our radar that we were fighting for was like the best price to Europe, you know, like on a flight, right? It it, it wasn't the kind of challenge that I'm built or born for. And um, and so what's crazy about this is that winning an election, which is the target here, you inherit a battle. Like you don't inherit the promised land. You inherit the battle. And, um, and, and it's a, it's a crazy reminder as I'm going through the process. Uh, I, I said yes to doing this, to laying my life down for it. I, I cannot save the state of California, but I can serve with all my heart. And my focus here is to give my life for something that's bigger than me. Um, and, and that's why I honor our police officers. That's why I honor our military. They do that even more than what I'm doing now, but they need protection from leaders who care deeply enough about the future and are not 
just following their their own, you know, saving Heaven. their own butts, right? Um, and we need that desperately as a country right now. We do need people that will lay their lives down um, for for the near impossibility because that's that's who we are as a nation. Um, that's where we need to go, and that's what we need right now. Do you? That's freaking beautiful, by the way. She gives such good answers. Really good. I can tell you how smart you are and how passionate you are because you give real answers. You don't give the polished political answer. Yep. I really hope you win, Jenny Ray. You are the best. Well, um, can I tell you one of the other truth bombs that God dropped on me? Yes. Um, he said, I love government, but hate politics. Ooh. 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 Write that down. That's a yeah. tweetable moment. Yep. I love government, but I hate politics. And I, I was like, wait, I hate both. Right. You know, I think yeah. both are gross. Um, but, but that was, that was, um, that was almost a year and a half ago, February of 2020. And it, it was for me, this moment when I thought, wow, I've, I've spent most of my life cursing the government mm-hmm. because so I just true. thought that I, I thought, how could anybody love that dirty mess? Right. Um, so I had the same perspective toward business before I felt drawn into business in my early twenties. And, um, but that, that truth, right. Government without politics, um, is, is it, it's a challenge to navigate it, but I think it's what, what we need right now. Eli, I have a trick spiritual question for you. For me? Yes. Who is the heavenly governor of the earth? Oh, I mean, this is going to the conversation we have all the time. Heaven's the kingdom. Heaven's the kingdom. But didn't uh, God, God the put, Father's the king? Yeah. Jesus is the king. Yeah. Who's the governor didn't, yeah, of didn't, the planet? Didn't he put the enemy in charge of what's that? Didn't he put? Didn't he put Satan here and was like, "Hey, have your way." He he didn't put Satan here and gave him power. Yeah, he put Adam here and gave Adam power. Okay, Satan took the power. Yeah, who's the governor? Oh, you tell me of the planet. You, you tricked me. No, I didn't trick you. It's good. <laughs> It's the Holy Spirit, bro. Oh, there you go. Holy you Spirit's go. the governor, baby. Okay, okay. That's the governor of the planet. Are you ready for the future governor of California, Jenny Ray? Bro, so ready. Jenny Ray, before we let you go, can I play yeah. a, a quick game with you? It'll be fun. It's so my wife and I play this game. I ask her five questions really fast, and she has to say the first thing that comes to her mind. Yeah, so yeah. It, it could get dangerous. It should get dangerous, right? Oh boy! Yeah, right. absolutely. We're we're not here for we're not here to just kind of you know kick back and drink the same beer every day, right? That's not who we are. <laughs> there we go. All right, five questions. I'm going to ask you. You you have to say the first thing that comes to your mind, even if it okay. sounds stupid. Like I could say, "What's your favorite color?" and you say, "Banana." Like, oh, that didn't make sense, but <laughs> that was the first thing that came to your mind. You have to say the first okay. thing that comes to your mind. You promise? Yeah, I'm going to okay. do my best. All right, here we go. Do you think President Biden will finish his term? No. Do you think Gavin Newsom will get recalled? Yes. What is the hardest part about being governor? The tension between doing what is right for the future and what people want today. Why do you love God? He's good, powerful, and the only one who flipped power upside down. What is the favorite podcast you've ever been on? For today? 
No, you're supposed to say today. Dang it. <laughs> <laughs> it's level up. We love you too, Jenny. It was Ray. a trick question. I get it. But you know, you, you, you got to watch out for those. See, that's about, you got to go, you got to go fast. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's the whole point. Yeah, that's like, right. You know I love what I'm saying? It. Hey man, 177 it. in Germany. 177 in Germany and growing. Thank you so much, Jenny Ray. We always ask our guests to leave uh, our listeners with like one nugget, one uh, quote or one tip. And for you, uh, it could be for the voters of California, people living there. For you, it could be the people that want to start a business because you've been successful at that. Or it could be, you know, here's the key to having a great marriage in the midst of being so busy. Like you can drop so many nuggets on us right now. What is on your heart? Like kind of like Jenny Ray's final level up thoughts. What would you say? Oh, it's so good. What a, what a moment. So, the floor mm. of a nugget. It is. Hey, I'm telling you right now, we've had Super Bowl champions on here. Bruce Arians who won a Super Bowl. We've had Olympic gold medalist swimmers. And now our very first potential governor-elect. What is she going to say? I, I would just say that I think, uh, I, I think that the pathway to the future that we're looking for in America is generosity. And what I had to do to break myself out of the fear of lack uh, was to give without strategy. So that would be my recommendation. And I think that actually applies in love. If you don't, you don't give based on a contract, you give. Uh, I think that applies in business. Um, like if I could go back and rework all of my businesses again, I would lavishly give to people. If they asked me for anything to go above and beyond, I would give, I would give, I would give, I would give. If they asked for contacts or connections, I would give. Right. Um, and even money, like I, I've gotten into a place now where I, anybody who asks me, I give. Um, and, and I used to live in a place where I was like, mm, I don't know, like, what will they do with it? Um, I, I was just a lot more strategic. And so I, I, I would just say, that I think the future is generosity. Um, and I think that's how we get to where we want to go. And actually all of the areas. That we talk about. I am Googling a Bible verse to match what you just said, but the internet's not working. What's the Bible verse that says, give to all who ask my phone petered out on me. Yeah. It's a Bible where it says, give to all who ask. That's so good. Give without strategy, Eli. That's really good. Come like on, that. bro. I like that. Give without strategy. That's freaking. The, see, and this is how you know that God really does talk to Jenny Ray because she's bringing something new that we've never heard, and it it just sits right in your spirit. I think you know. We'll talk about po uh, politics. I believe if you're a Democrat or if you're a Republican, if you hear. I love government, but I hate politics. We all agree on that. Yep. If you hear Democrats love justice, Republicans love righteousness, and God loves both, we can all agree on that. Yep. I think when you say give without strategy, we can all agree on that. That's why I think she's such a good cat. I hope you win. <laughs> Go out Come there and on. vote. Well, hey, if anybody's listening from California, make sure that you vote before September 14th. And if you're uh, interested, in some other way of getting involved in the campaign, you can check out our website, our Instagram, our TikTok. We're kind of feisty on TikTok right now. Um, and um, I have a podcast, which I'm, I'm not leading right now, called Strategy Simplified, kind of going back to what you were talking about earlier about, you know, how do you how do you unwork the data to, to make a strategy out of it? Um, but but um, there are a lot of different ways that you could connect with me. Um, if you want to give, of course, that's always an honor. But any way that you are 
are interested in supporting prayer, giving, um, or, or just, you know, voting, that would be amazing. And I hope that this conversation really encourages you with what God's doing in the country right now. Amen. There's good stuff coming. to JennyRayCA.com, and that's R-A-E in the Ray. J-E-N-N-Y-R-A-E-C-A.com. Thank you so much for coming on today, Level Up. And I know that, I mean, so many people... I'm gonna even, I'm gonna say this, Eli, for real. Yeah, I think she gave me the most nuggets today than all of our guests have ever given really us. Good. There's so many, like, it's just so good. Yeah. Oh, I hope you win. But if we remember, well, here's the here's the million dollar question. Yes. What's it gonna take to bring you back to California? It would take the way God speaks to you for God to tell me it's time to go back. It's. Uh, I'll put it this way. I hope, I hope you win and you need to win because one thing that you definitely taught me today and that I'm going to change is if I'm being honest, I love my family. The, the only thing I miss about California, cause I don't miss the weather. I love having four seasons. Summer here yes. sucks. So hot and humid sucks. Like I'd trade that for anything. <laughs> that sucks. But the fall here beats California. The spring here beats California, and I love the winter. I love the snow. So the one thing I miss about California is my family. I have no family here. Uh, my dad and you know his beautiful, awesome wife, Holly, who we love, is there. All my brothers and sisters, all my nieces and nephews. I almost get cried thinking about it. Uh, I miss my family. So, um, yeah, for me to go back to California, I, I miss my family. So what would it take for me to go back to California? God would have to pick me up and tell me to go. All right. Or God would have to use you. To he could do it. <laughs> right? He really could. I was going to say something else and I forgot. I went blank, but right. it was about going back to California. Oh, Jenny. Oh, I was going to say. Um, oh, that's what I was going to say. Because it's important. I think you have to win because one thing that you taught me today that I haven't been doing is I don't pray for California and I need to pray for California. I bag on California and I curse California. And that is wrong. Especially if I call myself a man of God and a Christian, I got I'm, I'm not going to do that anymore. That's what I learned today. That's how she helped me level up. I don't pray for California and you have my commitment. I'm going to start praying for California. And when I pray for people, I don't just say, I'm going to pray for you, brother. No, like I really get in my prayer closet on my Come face, on. on my knees. And I say, Lord, you you elevate kings and priests, and we need to elevate King Jenny Ray right now, right? Head honchette, baby. Head honchette. So there you go. You have my commitment. I'm going to pray for California because I have such good friends and family that, that I really think, like, I, I really do believe this, that as they vote blue, like, it's not the Democrats of the 70s and 80s anymore, man. It, it, it ain't the Democrats we grew up with. It's a different... It's a different party. It's a different time. And uh, I think if if it keeps going this trajectory, like, dude, follow the clues. There's a reason for the first time in 130 years, like you said, California had a reduction. 170 years. Why is that? Success leaves clues and so does trouble. So there you go. I really, really hope. (laughs) And I'm going to be praying. Yeah, seriously. All right. (laughs) Thank you so much, JennyRayCA.com. And thank you for listening to another week of Level Up. As always, please like, 
subscribe, share this podcast. If you have a friend or a family in California and they need help, here's the answer. JennyRayCA.com. Share this with them. And of course, if you liked it, give us a five-star rating. Give us a like. And I have a feeling we're going to get a lot on this one because she dropped a lot of bombs. Really good. You are the best, Eli. And Jenny Ray is the best, and she's the answer for California. There you have it. And thank you for listening to another week of Level Up.